I haven't really preached physically here. I did it by videotape, whatever, since you were in the market, in the storefront. I say this is better. That's just my opinion. I feel like this is better. You could fit about 11 people over there. I see a lot more than that here. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 18 and John chapter 21. Oh, man. If, you, uh, if you're away from God this morning, I have good news He's chasing you because he loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. You're like the apple of his eye. If he had a refrigerator in heaven, he'd have your picture on it. The God we serve is the, is the father in the prodigal son story. He's sitting on the porch, and when the prodigal comes home, he, uh, he kills the fatted calf, gets the robe and the ring. That's God. And if you're away from God, in about 30 minutes, he's just a prayer away, a simple childlike prayer away. And when, the, and when the sinner comes home or the backslider comes home, the Bible says there's a party in heaven. I mean, a real party in heaven. And then after that, we'll have a prayer team. Get ready, prayer team. We're going to practice what we preach. You're going to be the disciple whom Jesus loved, whispering in the ear of the people who come that just need a touch from heaven. So let me give you a commercial very quickly because evangelists do that, but I am 100% sold on these two things I'm telling you. This church was gracious to show the film, Aren't You Somebody? We made it in Thailand in 2019, and then uh, Corona knocked us out of our world premiere March 20th, 2020, and then Pastor had us come here. And, and then a few weeks or months after that, my wife um, had a heart attack January 2nd, 2021, it affected all of us deeply, and I decided in that moment, we're just going to give this away. We're going to give it to the Inspiration Network. They use it on their channel. I'm going to give it to you. There's, there's no way to even donate, uh, but I want you to pull out your phone. I know your wife is like my wife and told you, put your phone up. Don't check the scores, but the preacher's giving you permission to pull your phone out, all right? If you, if you scan that code, uh, it's funny, when I was in Columbia, South Carolina doing comedy for senior adults, I put the code up there, and they did like me. What is that squiggly thing? I don't understand what that is. And then when I went across town that night, did uh, comedy at the University of South Carolina, I put the code up, and reflexively, every college kid just pulled out their phone. They know it's a different generation. But you can have that. I just remind you, parents, it is about trafficking. It's not a documentary. It's a story. And it is, that's a heavy theme. Just, just use your uh, discretion. And then... I want to say uh, that there are books out there, and this is not just about funding the ministry, getting us to the next place, putting gas in the tank. I am I'm as excited about this as anything I've done. I think it's the most important thing I've done in 39 years. Now, I've wrestled professional wrestlers for gimmicks. for I don't recommend that. I've raced NASCAR guys, written three other books, comedy albums, Christian television, all that kind of stuff. This is a, it's a novel. It's about a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher to enjoy it any more than you, than you have to be a lawyer to enjoy a Grisham novel. 
This is about a guy who's running. Life was good, really good until it wasn't. A torpedo missile hit his life, and then he ran away for 30 years, and you watch God chase him down through circumstances. I will give you this, uh, this endorsement from our network director, from uh, Miss Susan, uh, what's her last name? Ross, I knew that. Um, I'm just struggling up here. She said, and, and I, I'm like Pastor Tom Whidden from Concord. I, I want to say I'm not bragging and I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you this is what she said. She said, uh, I didn't set the book down till page 125, and I had to switch planes. And then I had to leave the story for five days. I read the completion of this redemption story on the way to Derek's house. It's captivating. I love, love, love it. And the language, Joe, is brilliant. And that's what she said. So I've been getting, so I know that's God. I'm not that brilliant, but God gave this to me. And if you did that code, you can just uh, put your email and your name and you can donate anything. It'll say $24.99 because that's what it says from the publisher. But you can put a dollar. You put a dollar on there if you want to, or a million. I get nervous if anything over a million dollars. I don't like that. And you can put that in there and then just come to the table, show them the phone. I only have 30 copies back there, but if, if we run out, there's a way to get it from the publisher. Okay. Um, that's a bear hunting pastor, six foot seven, former bouncer in the coal mines of, of West Virginia called me and said, with, that, with the brogue, he was weeping when he called me. And I'm going to just tell you what he said. He said, Joe, I, I read your book. It wrecked me, man. I've gone through a box of Kleenexes. I think it's the most important book I ever read in my life outside the Bible. Now, that's what the deer hunting pastor who preaches with a pistol in his pocket said. So even the men could enjoy this book. All right. John chapter 18. Father, I praise you. I praise you. We were warned in Acts chapter 20, verse 30 that some people will rise up and try to develop followers under themselves. And we live in a generation of people, churches even, to try to build their brand and bring followers to themselves. But I sense deep in my heart, God, that Greater Life Church, all the campuses, this church is about bringing followers to Jesus Christ, to develop followers in Jesus. And I am honored, but I'm not here today because I'm a pastor's friend. I treasure that friendship. I'm here because steps of righteous people are ordered of the Lord, and he ordered the steps of pastor to invite me, and he ordered my steps to be here. So there's an assignment here. There are precious people here that are discouraged. I pray before their head hits the pillow tonight that they will be deeply, deeply encouraged by the power of the Holy Spirit. And for everyone who's away from you, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you do what the Bible says you'll do. Convict them of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. For the glory of God, in the name of Jesus, and everybody said amen. amen. It's the Lord. Put that picture up there if you don't mind. I'm going to just talk about this picture before I talk about the text. This is a 1976 Monte Carlo. When I graduated from high school, I was extremely poor. My grandfather came down that I used to live with before my mother gave me away, and he gave me $2,000. I bought a car that looked just like that, except the top was white. Uh, it had bald tires. I put seven starters on it. It was a lemon piece of junk, but it had a moonroof, and I thought it was a chick magnet. It really wasn't, although I did get my beautiful wife to date me in that car. I, I paid 2000 for it. I drove it to Phoenix City, Alabama, and begged a man to, at a car lot to, to buy it for $800, and I walked home. It was just, but I digress. Uh, it, was, uh, it was during this season, 
And, and, and what's so fresh about this is yesterday in Oklahoma City, I got back last night, I was able to visit a 92-year-old woman in Oklahoma City who opened her home, her and her husband opened her home to this broken teenager and took me in and gave me words of knowledge and love. And I was driving that Monte Carlo when I met them. Cecilia and I, she was my girlfriend at the time, we were driving to a, a funeral. My friend Scott Turk's dad died. This is my girlfriend, Cecilia, and then Bonnie, an, a mutual friend, was sitting on the other side. And we were going down kind of a, a, a hill at Interstate 185 near Columbus College. And that, the tires were so bald that when the oil from the rain just came up, the car started spinning like this. It just started spinning. And we were headed to Columbus College brick sign across the interstate. And, I, and my thought, it's weird what you think of when you think you're going to die. I, I thought the headline in the Columbus Ledger Inquirer is going to be Columbus College athlete. I was playing basketball on a scholarship there. Columbus College athlete dies hitting the Columbus College sign. That's what my brain thought. And Cecilia and myself and our friend Bonnie, we all said the same thing at the exact same time. We said, Jesus! When we said Jesus, it was like a hand came down out of the sky and stopped us the same way a dad would stop a hot wheel car on a dining room table. We just stopped. We were, it defied the laws of gravity and physics. And the three of us said the same thing, not at the same time. We all said, it's the Lord. That was God. Have you ever had anything when you look in the rearview mirror, you say, that was God. That, that, that phone call was God. That, that word of knowledge was God. That, that directive was God. That piece of mail was God. This is a passage about men who said, it's the Lord. Let's look at John 18. Let's look at John 18. Uh, we'll look at a few verses here. I'll read fast, so listen fast. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl, being the doorkeeper, said to Peter, Hey, are you not also one of this man's disciples? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers stood there and warmed themselves, having made a fire of coals, fire of coals, fire of coals, for it was cold. Peter also stood with them and warmed himself. Next passage from verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, hey, are you not also one of his disciples? Then he denied it and said, I'm not. And then one of the servants of the high priest, being a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off, said, yo, ha, ha, ha. Didn't I see you in the garden with him? And Peter denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Chapter 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself this way. Simon Peter Thomas called the twin Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. The sons of Zebedee and two more of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Then they said to him, huh, we'll go with you. And they went out and immediately entered the boat. And that night they caught nothing. When the morning came, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, throw the net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. So they threw it. Now they were not able to draw it in because of the abundance of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is 
is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the sea. And we don't have this on the screen because I, I had not given it to him. But I, I want to go down to verse... Uh, I can't find it, but I'll just tell you what it says. Jesus was making breakfast over a charcoal fire. If you read the rest of the passage, you'll find it. Jesus was making breakfast over charcoal fire. I love the Bible. I love John. John chapter 18 is a bad chapter. It's horrible. Denial, betrayal, denial, betrayal, denial, betrayal. Horrific chapter, but it's not as bad as chapter 19. That's Good Friday. It was good for us, but it was not good for Jesus. Crucifixion, beating, Roman lictor, bone and metal, ripping his skin from his body. Then chapter 20, whoo, the resurrection. We just celebrated that at Easter. Then we get to chapter 1, 21, and it is back to deep frustration. That's kind of the Christian life. We want it to be a smooth road, and sometimes it gets a little bit bumpy. That's what this, this part of John is. And here sits seven men who were assigned to wait and tarry for power on high, men who were called to fish for men. And they were sitting on a stump, eaten up with the emotional cancer of disindees. I don't know if you ever had disindees disease, but there they were, disgusted with themselves. Peter was disgusted with himself, discouraged, disenfranchised. Uh, they were de debilitated. They had despair. They were depressed. You can go on and on and get a bunch more disses and deeds, but that's what they had. And Simon Peter, in the midst of all of this, said, I'm going fishing. Now, you need to have friends around you that will tell you the truth. Speak the truth in love. The disciples didn't do that with Simon Peter. They should have said, no, Simon Peter, we are to wait and tarry for power from on high. But they said, hey, dog, you going fishing, we going fishing too. <laughs> and they fished all night. Now, I love fishing, and I have a spiritual conviction to go do it. I haven't done it in 20 years, so I, I need to fish. They said there's a pond back here, a retention pond. I'll throw a line in that sometime this week. But I ain't trying to fish all night. I, I'm not doing that. My grandmother had a farm in Indiana. Zelfia Madonna Phillips. That's a cool name. And she, uh, she loved three things on this earth. She loved her grandson, Joey Phillips. She loved professional wrestling and Christian television. Those two things were very similar in the 1980s. <laughs> she sold the farm, bought a 60-acre junky stump-filled lake in Lumpkin, Georgia. And we would come from Indiana down to Lumpkin. I was 12 years old. That lake was full of water moccasins and, and alligators. For a 12-year-old boy from the Midwest, you might as well say that was the Nile River. I mean, I was in Africa. I was in the heart of, I was on the Amazon with pythons. My dad would say, Joey, your uncles and I, we're going to go fish uh, through the night. You want to go? No, I don't even have to pray about that. No, I'm going to eat a sandwich. I like living. Y'all go get eaten by an alligator. I don't, that little tiny John boat. So that's what the disciples did. They fished all night. And they fished all night, but they caught no fishes. Fished all night, but they caught no fishes. They didn't have the technology we have. Now we've got the fish finder. Do, 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 do. There's, there they are, give me the dynamite. Boom. 
So they got discouragement, depression, disillusionment, and they go back to their default setting. When you're away from God, you go to your default setting. We know how to fish. T.D. Jake says that when Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing, it was the same thing as saying, I'm going clubbing, I'm going on a bender, I'm going to, because he was not called to do that anymore. Nothing wrong with fishing, except when God calls you to fish for men and wait for power, and they don't wait, and they just go back to what they know. And in the morning, over a charcoal fire, Jesus is making breakfast. Notice what he said. Children! Notice what he didn't say. Reprobates, backsliders, heathen, sinner, weirdo. 1 John 3, 1 says, How great the Father's love has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Do you have any fish? Now, if you've caught a fish, that's a great question. Hey, old buddy, how are they biting up there? How are they biting? I don't know. We got this 11-pound bass. It seems good to me. Does that look pretty good to you? I think they're biting okay. But if you've been blanked, fellas, you know we're competitive. We don't like to get blanked at anything. Especially when you're so frustrated, you go back to the only thing you know, and you can't even succeed at that. Have you any fish? No. In Spanish, no. <laughs> Cast your net on the other side. Now, I love Simon Peter. I relate to him. One of my favorite verses is Simon, not knowing what to say, spoke. Because I do that. Hey, nice to meet you. When's the baby due? What baby? I'll be over at the Beanie Weenies. All right, God bless you. <laughs> Simon Peter was blustery. Uh, it doesn't matter if everybody denies you. I'll never deny you, except when a little middle school girl intimidates me. Having done 20 years of youth ministry, I, I relate to being intimidated by a middle school girl and raised two of them, beautiful daughters through middle school. Hey, hey, I know you. Shut up. You were with him. I don't know him. Cuss and curse and cuss and curse. He was blustery, but now he's discouraged. Cast your net on the other side. He didn't go. Oh, the strange man on the shore wants us to fish on the other side of the boat. We're professional fishermen. We've been out here all night. We know what we're doing. Why don't we shut his mouth and throw it on the other side? And when they did, 153 fish came up. Simon Peter knows he's not that good. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, the guy who wrote the gospel. You can take that any way you want to. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. Ah. Or you don't even need to know my name. I'm just a man that was loved by Jesus. Any way you want to take it. That guy leaned down into the ear of Simon Peter and said, that's the Lord. I've been thinking a lot about perspective and perception. Perception is the is the information that your cognitive resources gives to you upon the initial observation. It's what your eye sees, your ear. It's that, it's that discernment. It's that, it's that intuition. It's that, it's that immediate piece of information. Perspective, to me, is what is the worldview that is built around that perception. Let me give you an example. 
When I travel, and I've traveled hundreds of thousands of miles, and I see a dead animal on the side of the road, I've made a covenant with my eyes like Job. I don't like looking at it. I ascertain two things. Is it human? It never has been. To the Lord, I hope it never is. Number two, is it impeding my progress? It rarely ever is. I keep my eyes on the prize. If my registered nurse wife is in the car with me, there's a different conversation. There's a dead thing on the side. I think I see the intestines. There's the spleen. Ah! grosses me out. So imagine my absolute horror the other day. I was by myself, dead animal on the side of the road. It's not human. It's not my way. Eyes on the prize. I'm following an 18-wheeler. Imagine my horror when the dead animal flew up into my windshield. Yeah, I screamed like, a, like what we used to call missionettes. I mean, I screamed. <laughs> you could put me on a lie detector and ask the question, did you see a dead animal following that, uh, that semi? And I would have said yes and passed the lie detector. But see, it, 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 it was not a dead animal. It was a piece of cardboard with a grease stain on it. It looked like blood flew up into my windshield. My perception was dead animal. My perspective, I built around it, but that was all wrong. I'm going to give you another example. So we have two grandkids. One is coming any minute, any day. I hope it comes this week before my next traveling deal. My son married Cabarrus County Sheriff's daughter, which is stupid because I got a lot of warrants out. I'm kidding. I don't have warrants out. <laughs> and uh, uh, I don't even know how, what I got off on saying that for. Um, so, oh, I got two other grandkids. This other one's coming. And, and our backyard has some woods in it. It's not a real big lot or anything, but it's got some woods. And it got real snaky. I saw a copperhead back there, and, and I didn't want my grandkids to, to walk back there, right? I didn't want them to walk back there. And so I decided to hire a guy for $1,000 to cut all these trees down. Then I said to myself, looking in the mirror, you're a man. You're not too old. Do it yourself. So I went down to Lowe's and bought $1,000 worth of equipment. All eco-friendly, battery-powered. I said, does a battery on this chainsaw work for a long time? He said, yeah, that was a lie. It, <laughs> it worked five minutes. It's a lazy man's dream. Five minutes, charge it for two hours, five minutes. But finally, we got all the trees down. Went and bought some more batteries. I got all the trees down, drug them all to the, sit, to the street so the city could pick them up. And I was enjoying the view. It just totally changed the backyard. And I said, hey, Cecilia, come here. We got neighbors right down there. Look, there's some neighbors right there. About that time, the neighbor whom I'd never met walks out with her hands on her hip like this, starts gesturing. An adult daughter comes to stand beside her, and she's doing this. My perception was, that lady's furious. I have cut down her rose bushes, and I, I, I just knew she was furious at me. And so I started building a perspective around that, a worldview around that. I got a, I got a figure this out. I got to call a surveyor. I got to get Cecilia to make a pan of brownies. I got to go down and build a bridge. She's African-American. I'm not a racist. How can you prove a negative? I don't know how to do it. I couldn't sleep that night. I was on the deck the next day and uh, I was having a devotion and she comes back out there. She stands just looking at the stuff. I said to the Lord, I got to start building a bridge right now, Lord. I'll be back. As a matter of fact, won't you come and go with me? I went in the middle of the road, in the middle of the woods. I said, hi, I'm your neighbor. I'm Joe. She said, did you do this? 
and I felt like I was at spelling bee. I wanted to just drag it out. Could you use that in a sentence? Could you tell me <laughs> the origin of the question? Finally, I got enough guts to say, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, I did that. She said, this, this looks amazing. It opens everything up. It's incredible. I, I can't believe it. I said, I, I knew you felt that way. I just had a feeling. I sensed it. Went to bed thinking about how you felt that way. My perception was wrong. My perspective was wrong. Really, the only thing that matters is perfection, the truth. The truth will set us free. When they looked at Jesus, they had wrong perceptions, and that made them have wrong perspectives. You remember the storm? Jesus is walking on the water, and they said, ah, it's a ghost. Well, he is the Holy Ghost, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but he's not that ghost. Then in chapter 20, Mary at the tomb, if you have laid him somewhere, tell me where you've laid him, supposing him to be the gardener. Well, he is a gardener. John 15, he prunes us, but he's not that gardener. Their perception was wrong. Their perspective was wrong. Now, a group of backsliders in a boat 300 feet from the shore say, it's not a gardener and it's not a ghost. That's just a guy. That's a guy standing there giving us fishing tips. Until John says, that's not a guy, that's God. So it doesn't matter what your perspective is or your perception. What really matters is perfection. What does the Bible say about who Jesus is? And there are seasons and times and boats that you might find yourself in that you need to have somebody whisper in your ear, that's the Lord. In a boat of grief. Maybe you're in here today and you're grieving something. You're grieving a relationship. You're grieving, you're grieving a hope deferred, makes the heart sick. A dream that was collapsing all around you. Maybe you're grieving the death of a loved one. It's all right to grieve. God gave that to us. Acts 8.2. And godly men mourned greatly for Stephen. It's okay to mourn. You just can't mourn forever like somebody who has no hope. At some point, something inside of you has got to say, no, that's where the Lord is right there, right in the middle of my grief. Those men were grieving the loss of Jesus. You might find yourself uh, in a boat of fear. In the gospel of John chapter 20, there they are, hiding, bolted. The doors are bolted for fear of the Jews. And he, he walks through the wall. He can do that. And he tells all the guys that are terrified, here I am. And they say, that's the Lord. Maybe you find yourself in a boat of doubt. Yeah, if he's real, you know, I'll believe it when I put my finger in the hole in his hand. And he walks through the wall and says, here I am, Thomas. Here I am. Put your hand right here on my side. And they say, it's the Lord. I tell you, when you really need to recognize the Lord is when you're frustrated. You're in a boat of frustration. You ever been there? Disses and D's, discouraged, despondent, disillusioned, depressed, despair. It's, uh, it's two steps forward, three steps back, two steps forward, three steps back, and you just can't get ahead. That's when you have to strain your eyes a little bit. First Chronicles 16, 11 says, seek the Lord, seek his strength and seek his face continually. Seek the Lord. Where are you standing in the middle of my frustration?
But if we want to be hermeneutically, homiletically, and exegetically correct, here's the boat he was in when he recognized the Lord. And we have to do the same thing when things are going really good in the boat of success. Even Peter knew he wasn't good enough to go zero to 153 in 2.8 seconds. 153 fish. The Bible makes it very plain. When I studied the commentators on this, one of the commentators said, Jerome, the ancient theologian, said, uh, there were 153 fish in the net because there were 153 known varieties of fish on the earth. Cyril of Alexander said, there's 153 because 100 represented the Gentiles and 50 represented the Jews and three represented uh, Trinity. Wow, y'all are smart. <laughs> How about there was just 153 fish? How about that? Does it have to mean something? You know, in the hills and hollers of Alabama and West Virginia, two places I dearly love, somebody has preached this passage like this. He said, throw it on the right side of the boat because the right wing politics is the way to go. I mean, somebody's had to preach it that way. Somebody preached it that way. How about there was just 153 fish and John is, does what these prayer team members are going to do. They're going to whisper Hey, Lord, we want to see you. This is the Lord. We seek your face. We want to know where are you at. And then if you're in this boat, separation. He was not doing what he's supposed to do. He's a backslider. He's separated. 300 feet might as well have been 300 miles. And there Jesus is on the shore making breakfast. What's going through his mind as he grabs his outer garment and he jumps into the water. The Passion Version says because of his athleticism, he jumped into the water. He was swimming to, and he pulls himself up on those black volcanic rocks. And he remembers the very shore where Jesus said, you're not going to fish for men anymore. You are for fish anymore. You're going to fish for men. That had to be going through his mind. What was going through his mind when he saw the charcoal fire? There's only two places in the Bible that use a charcoal fire. One is when he's intimidated. Shut up, I don't know him. He's warming his hands over a charcoal fire. Cuss and curse, I don't know him. And the other is when God is making breakfast for the backslider. Those are the only two places I can find a charcoal fire. And so Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than these? I always want to know, what, what is these? Do you love me more than, than you love these six friends of yours? Do you love me more than you love these 153 fish? I think what he meant was, do you love me more than these men love me? Because you bragged about how much you love me. And it hurt, the, it hurt Simon Peter. Because the, the word Jesus used was agape. Now, we have one word in the English language for love. We use it for everything. Ooh, I love a chili dog. I love my truck. I love my wife. I love you, Lord. <laughs> in the Greek, there are three words. Jesus says, do you agape me? Unconditional, pure love. And Peter responds in the Greek, Lord, I filio you. That means friendship. I, I'm a fan of yours. He asked him, Another time, do you 
love me, agape me. Lord, you know I filio you. Then Jesus meets him where he's at and says, Peter, do you filio me? And he says, Lord, you know I do. And he's hurt. He's grieved. Oswald Chambers says, have you ever felt the hurt of the Lord? And he felt that. Three times Peter had denied Jesus publicly. Now three times Jesus is bringing him back to restore him and remind him that he loves him. I wrote a poem, not much of a poet, I'm sort of a truck stop poet. I wrote it on a Delta napkin on a flight 20 years ago going to do a comedy deal in, in Orlando. And I, I'm going to recite this brief poem if I can remember all the words. And I want you to think about Simon Peter and his life. And maybe, maybe you're, the, you're there too. Maybe you're in this place. The poem is called Tainted. <clears throat> Out of the ashes of a devastated soul through the smoke-clearing vistas of sinful toll steps a preacher, steps a Christian, written off long ago, publicly disgraced for his prodigal show. He landed on a heap of clergy, of Christians tainted. His sin was broadcast and the faithful fainted. No one gets a pass from this nebulous shadow. How's he even standing in this infamous meadow? Settling in a sediment of black despair, barely could the preacher gasp hope's sweet air. But a voice settled with him, though he could barely hear it, the whisper of one dwelling with a contrite spirit. And the voice said, stand. Grace has come for you. And grace has brought life, the way, and the truth. By faith, he took one step on broken reputations. And each step that followed brought a kind confirmation. Like Samson at his end, a glory has returned. Redemption is delivered to a man once spurned. Walking back to a ministry, though not the same, chiseled to simplicity by despair and shame, the preacher, now humbled, walks out from the ashamed. God's mercy has reclothed him. He has been renamed. Outcast he is no longer, for he has been rescued. A minister once more, a man for God to use. That's the kind of God we serve, Greater Life Church, that will restore us. Just because there are John Marks in the Bible who have this carnal desire not to do the ministry and Paul and Barnabas break up and over this kid at the end of Paul's life he says bring John Mark to me for he is profitable for the ministry that's the kind of God we serve that no matter how many stumps you've been sitting on God can restore you he can restore you discouragement he can heal you and then if you're in a boat of uncertain future uncertain future he says to Simon Peter, at the end of this chapter, this is what's going to happen to you when you get older. And it was very uncertain. He basically told him how he would die. History says Peter died upside down on a cross. So once you see the Lord, then what do you, how do you respond? What's, what's, the, what's the to do from that? I'm going to give you a few just really quickly. After people saw the Lord, the first thing they said, go tell. You got to go tell somebody. I just saw the Lord. So you got to go tell somebody. You got to, you got to have peace. You got to have peace. Jesus walks in and says, I'm giving you peace over all of your fear. He walks in and he breathes on him. Receive the Holy Spirit. Be full of the Holy Spirit. Then of all things he would say, he'd say, you got to forgive people. Yeah, you saw me, but you got to forgive people. Then he says, do your job. Do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my lambs. And it's not because you love the lambs. Pastor Andrew pastors and loves you. 
But that's not the primary reason he's doing it. He's doing this because he loves him. He loves Jesus. So the nursery worker who says, I just love babies. I love babies so much. I'm just in it because I love the babies. There's a diaper in her future that's going to really challenge that love experience. You need to love the babies if you're going to work in the nursery, but you're not doing it for the babies first. You're doing it because do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And then, and then he says, mind your business. Mind your business because I love Simon Peter. He just gets restored after being on the dis and D cancer stomp, emotional stomp. He gets restored. And what does he say? He looks at John and says, what about that guy right there? What about him? <laughs> Comparison kills us. And Jesus answers that with the Greek word, nunya. That's nunya business. It ain't none your business, Peter, what I decide to do with him. You follow me. Are you uh, sitting on a stump today? It's good news. You don't have to go fishing. God's making breakfast for you. He's given you an assignment. He's given you a job. He wants to help you. I'm going to put a, a bow on this with a verse and a little quick story. I think it's Luke 22. Jesus says to Simon, 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 Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith will not fail, and after you repent, you'll strengthen the brethren. We give Simon Peter a hard time, but you know what he did? For 30 years, he never came off of it. The disciples were tortured, beaten, martyred. He never once, he never once failed to say, I saw the Lord. I saw him. He was making my breakfast. He's resurrected from the dead. And he restores and loves me. And he wrote a couple of books in this Bible. You read 1 Peter and remember the fire on the beach as you read them. He did his job. And he minded his own business. I take a, I take a prison and put it on stages around the country. It's a $5,000 three-cell prison with electric locks and I share my testimony and put the people in prison of my unforgiveness and at the end I talk about when I got saved and I say I wish I could say I got saved in a gorgeous church like this but it didn't happen that way for me it's in a nightclub smugglers in on Macon Road same road that I was on when I started spinning I was 18 years old, broken, had two pairs of pants, no hope to get to college, no vehicle. At that point in my life, nothing. I had nothing. Didn't have Jesus. But a man took an interest in me and started inviting me to church. And the only reason I went is because he said he'd feed me. I was poor. I was, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken, his finger licking good. I'd go to Kentucky Fried Chicken and lick other people's fingers. I mean, I was broke down. You know what I mean? I had no money. I was broke. I was on a dance floor dancing with a married lady with a fake ID with my buddy down the street who's now a police captain. That checks out. And I was, you know, probably dancing like a typical white guy. <laughs> I remember dancing with this lady. I was 18 years old. And I'd been in church for about seven weeks. So something about it that was powerful, invisible, eternal. There was something in the room. I couldn't get out fast enough and I couldn't get in quick enough. But I heard a voice on that dance floor. And it said to me, Joe, I love you. 
And I got something better for you than this. I mean, I heard it over Cool and the Gang and Rick James. It was loud in my spirit. I stopped dancing, started crying. I could read the lips of the four bending guys. They said, he's drunk. I wasn't drunk. I was too poor to be drunk. I hadn't had anything to drink. 40 years and six and a half months ago, I saw the Lord in a nightclub. I heard the Lord in a nightclub and I walked out of darkness that night. I walked straight in the light. I've been walking in the light ever since. I've never had a moment's regret. Maybe the Lord is saying to you, here I am. Here I am. I ain't mad at you. I'll make you breakfast. Roman, I mean, Revelation 3 says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I'll open the door. I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. I'll come in. We'll have breakfast together. Would you all of you bow your heads if you're away from God 300 feet? 300 miles to be away is to be away is to be away. I'm going to count to three. Not as a gimmick, but as a point of clear communication. When I say that third number, if you are away from God, I want you to slip your hand up and keep it up for a couple of beats until I tell you to put it down. I'm going to pray with you right where you stand. I am not going to interview you. I don't want to know your sin any more than I want you to know mine. And it's just a simple prayer away. Not a fancy prayer. You've heard those, Father, as you look over the balconies of heaven, marshal your influences at the superfluity of naughtiness, and the angels look at each other and say, I got nothing on that. I don't know what that guy's talking about. No, we come to the kingdom like a little child. We, we raise our hands and say, that's what I want, Father. I want to be forgiven. I want to walk with you. One, Joe, I didn't need you to tell me I've had bad thoughts, said bad words, and done wrong things. I didn't need anybody to tell me that I failed to do the right thing. I woke up this morning knowing it. And I walked in here knowing it couple of moments I'm going to ask you to raise your hand because Jesus knows our thoughts but he sees our faith and I'm not Jesus I want to see your faith there's something powerful about posture movement like that two I don't want to go to bed tonight like I did last night I want to put my head on the pillow and know to be absent from the body I'd be present with the Lord like the Bible says if I take my last breath here my very next breath would be on streets paved with gold that is what I want God if that's what you're offering that's what I want I'm going to say this third number if you're ready he's ready he's He's partying. He's got the party balloons and whistles ready in heaven. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. I say this number, you're away from God, lift your hand up like they did in the first service. I'll pray with you right where you are. You ready? Here it is. Three. Pray for me. Yeah, just lift it up. Pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. In the middle, anybody in the middle? Thank you. The right. God. I want everybody to stand. Everybody stand, please. God, I pray for these who raise their hand that they'll understand, repent, believe, and trust only in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that they'll understand what they need to understand today. They won't get everything, but they need to get what you want them to get today. Make a U-turn, the thing that's grieving you. Go the other direction. Trust and believe only in Jesus Christ for their eternal life. As they pray a simple prayer. I'm going to stutter on purpose through a prayer, stumble through it. You just say something like this to God. Fill in the blanks to God. You raised your hand. Three or four of you raised your hand. Just say this to God. 
But we'll have a three-word public prayer in the middle of it. God, here I am. Dear God, this is me. God, God, I am standing here on my own two feet. This is me. And I apologize for grieving you, for hurting you. And I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to forgive me. I confess my sins, my bad thoughts, words, deeds, everything. I confess them. But I confess something else, too. Count of three, if you're comfortable, everybody out loud, quickly say, Jesus is Lord. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. Now back to our prayer, three or four of you. So I just confessed that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart God raised Jesus from the dead. I don't understand all this. I want all this. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. I give you my life. I receive Jesus. God this church, Greater Life Church, prays for those three or four people that raise their hands that you'll help the roots to go down deep and find that living water and the fruit will go up high, that they'll be transformed and they'll be transforming agents for people who are around them and nothing shall steal what you planted in their heart. No birds of the air, cares of the earth, no difficult places, but they will bear fruit that remains in Jesus' name. Amen. And can we give the Lord praise for people that want to come into the kingdom of God Hallelujah. He's making breakfast. It's kind of late. I like to hang around and pray for people. And We had a prayer team scheduled, but I think I ran a little late, didn't I, Pastor? If, if, let me ask you a question. Let me just ask you a question where you are. Prayer team scattered through the building. You say, Joe, I'm going through something. See, among more men born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist, Jesus said. But even John the Baptist said, hey, I don't know if he's real. I don't even know if he's real. Go find him and say, are you the one, somebody else coming? It's okay to sit on a stump. If you're sitting on a stump, but you really need to see the Lord in something you're going through, I want you to slip your hand up right where you're at. Slip your hand up. Somebody's going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. I need to see, I need to see where he's at. I'm grieving. I'm hurting. I, I, there's somebody here who's got to make a decision. Where are you? Raise your hand. Lord, help people see you high and lifted up. Your train fills the temple. Help them to see where you're standing in the middle of their challenges. In the powerful and glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a praise? Hallelujah. Hallelujah.